0: digital ramblings podcast brought to you by click marketing
1: welcome to episode 13 of the assorted digital ramblings podcast a monthly hour-long listen on marketing and associated points of interest all linked back to what's happening in the ever-evolving world around us through the minds of our experts at click through marketing I'm your host Chris, and for once I'm not joined by my co-host Liv, but stepping into her sizable shoes We've got Steph returning to the podcast as a host while Liv soaks up the sun in Croatia So, how have you been Stephanie, and what have you been up to? Uh
2: oh, full name in and everything, no, I'm very good, thank you It feels, I won't lie, I'm really quite nervous to be stepping into Liv's shoes I, I mean, there's only one Liv um, but yeah, Thank goodness, yeah <laughs> But no, it's lovely to, to be back co hosting this time with you not in the in the hot seat. Um but what I've been up to, I mean, not not that much really. Um it, it's just working away. What have you been doing?
1: Um, yeah, this is really boring, isn't it? Not much, can't think. Don't really know. Well, should we should we skip our boring lives and get on to our guests?
2: I know, I feel like we should have had something more entertaining (laughs) lined up But, you know, this is what happens when you get to our age We don't do a lot, do we? Um, But uh, in terms of someone who is much more exciting And returning for a second time I think it's the first guest to return as well, isn't it?
1: Yes, I believe so Because you've come in in different guises, haven't you?
2: Yeah, I just wear many a podcast hat But no second time as a guest We've got the wonderful Sarah Clark
0: Thank you Thank you for having me again. No worries at
2: all. And so you are joining us this time not from your paid media, uh, but very much in the guise of behavioural science. So, yeah, Chris, I feel like you're going to have to kick us off with this one. So, yeah,
1: let's let's start from the start. So we don't need to get to know you. We, we already know you've been on before. Um, so what exactly is behavioural science and how can it be used within marketing and how does it have an impact on consumers?
0: So... Behavioural science is the study of human behaviour in its simplest form. Um, So it's essentially just reviewing how and why humans behave the, the the way that they do. So within marketing it's really important because a big part of what we do is talking to humans. So through our content, through our ads, no matter what it is. We're we're talking to someone at the other end of that. So it's important that we're looking at that and it can help us to understand what's important and then use that to build our strategies and make sure that we're really speaking to those people. Cool. I love that. I love that.
2: I think it's one of those where we are humans and we've got to be able to connect to each other, haven't we? And like, so just have a content. You can't write. Content for someone if you don't know who they are at the other end and what they like and how they speak and what they care about. It's, it's really oh. interesting.
1: And, um, I mean, I'm slightly cheating here because Sarah presented behavioural science to me about... Six weeks ago, and it was fascinating. Um, so, there's different types of you can roughly categorise different types of consumers, can't you? Do you want to quickly tell us what they are, and then we'll guess which bucket we think we fall into?
0: So, the four consumers, kind of broadly speaking, are competitive, spontaneous, methodical, and humanistic. So, it's basically whether you're driven by wanting to make a decision quite quickly. Or whether you want to know all the information before you make that decision.
1: Which one do you, think you fall into, Steph?
0: Uh, I, I would love to say that I'm like methodical,
2: but I'm not. I think we might have mentioned when we spoke about cost of living. I'm just impulsive, so <laughs> you don't know what tomorrow brings, do you? So for me, I'm just like I've got my fun tokens. I'm I'm going to spend them on something that I want as a treat because life is hard. Uh, Bottles
1: of Prosecco. <laughs> yeah. um, I'd say generally methodical with the odd burst of spontaneous. So, I once once went out for Blue Tac and bought an iPad, for example. <laughs> you once
2: did
1: what? I went out to buy Blue Tac from Tesco, big Tesco, and came home with, with Blue Tac and an iPad.
2: This is like a story, as you see, in, like, the proper tabloids where it's when, like, lad went out on a Friday night and ended up in Ibiza. <laughs> like, he went I out mean, for blue It
1: wasn't, wasn't quite like that, but, yeah. I Went out for blue tac bought an iPad. How about you, Sarah?
0: Uh, I think I'm similar to Steph. I think I'm most of the time spontaneous. But then I don't really ever buy anything that's that expensive or needs that much thinking through. Mm. So,
2: yeah, just go for it. Yeah, my spontaneity is... it's. It's more to like go wild and Primark I don't that's how I treat myself I don't like spend thousands on something but I will just go and run riot down the clothes aisles and the shoes
1: that's the beauty of Primark though isn't it you can run riot and it costs you like 50 quid
2: yeah that's how I do monetary values I'm like someone's like oh this t-shirt is 200 pound and I'm like mm, <laughs> Primark that could get me <laughs> about four bagfuls <laughs> <laughs> But with that so we are we've got a bit of a strange job because we're on both sides of the fence because we're both consumers and marketers. So obviously I go wild and primark, but then from a the marketing side I probably would never think about advertising to someone in that way. So do you think do you think that's the case? Like is it easy is it actually that easy to think we are both humans and to remember that or do you think we tend to forget as marketers?
0: I think we tend to forget As marketers, I think marketer bias is strong within marketers. And I think because we spend so much time looking at the other side of it and looking at results and data and strategies, I think we end up forgetting that actually a lot of the time we are a consumer. Um, And I know I'm quite critical of other like marketing activities that I see in ads and TV and that sort of thing. But that's always from the marketing perspective it's from like a strategy perspective as opposed to thinking about it from a consumer and why that might not fit with what the consumer wants yeah yeah that
2: it is so easy to get caught up in the day-to-day isn't it of mm-hmm. performance base that we forget that it is a, a human on the other end.
1: particularly in digital isn't it where there's so much data You get lost in data, but you forget every single point of data is a person. Every number on a spreadsheet is a person, yes. Um, And how do you think, with what's going on in the world, um, the economy's all over the place, recession's looming, I don't think we're officially in it yet. It's obviously at the forefront of a lot of people's minds. Um, Consumer confidence is as low as it's ever been. Do you think things like that and external influences impact bio-behaviours and actually which which category you'd fall into?
0: Definitely. And we've seen from data here that people are just way more likely to slow down their buying. Um, And that's because things like bigger purchases, things that can be put off are typically put off and people just don't wanna buy them anymore. So it's more about those kind of essentials and treats. So like Steph mentioned with Primark, that's something that actually people will still justify in the short term because it's those kind of little things don't cost a lot and they'll make people feel better about themselves and the situation. Um, But it's the bigger things that we'll see put off because people don't wanna make those big decisions when they're just not sure of what's gonna happen.
2: Yeah, we had this conversation um with a client recently about with obviously coming up to peak and the idea that actually people are being a bit more considered right now because it is the idea of if you're going to, to spend money on an item that costs a bit more, you want to find the right deal, you wanna make the research, but it is more of a careful consumer at the moment. So it is strange that we probably all shift and adapt. I say that, I I still and spontaneous but then I'm clever In the fact that I uh, Anything practical that I need or that's uh, more costly I just ask For that for Christmas and things like that. <laughs> Ever the adult
1: Asking Santa to cover your gas bill for 12 months That's very smart um, I mean it, it's interesting isn't it I did, I'll did. plug the, the webinar I did um, So we did a webinar A couple of weeks ago on um, Getting recession ready with your marketing And part of that we looked at the impact on different brands and sectors and it's almost you shape the impact in that I looked at our clients and I looked at some market data and it's almost like the people at the, the bottom end the affordable brands the likes of your Primarchs they were up year on year on the data I looked at and you really high-end brands they were up year on year because the people that shop for them don't really get impacted by any of this stuff do they it's what i kind of labelled, I don't know if this is a real label or not, but mid-end luxury, the sort of things that are luxury purchases to, to you and I. They seem to be the ones that are getting really squeezed, things that ordinary people treat themselves to or or spend a little bit more on that they might not spend on now. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, the, how Peak plays out in the next few months beyond that as well. Um, so what, what we've talked about there is obviously short term do you think people's behaviors change massively over over the long term
0: they can it it does ultimately depend on the person but typically as people go through the kind of normal human life cycles so things like getting married having children for example that typically is going to cause a change in their behavior and ordinarily if they were a little bit more spontaneous people might then go to being a little bit more of a planner and needing to spread that out Um, and typically as people get older because then different things are important to them and so people are more focused on certain elements they might want things that are going to last versus they didn't when they were younger Um, and also the items that they're interested in. Um, Another big part of this is around kind of brand affiliation Um, and actually that's going to change as people change age. Um, and that's either because they don't fit into the target audience of the, the current business they were using, or just their tastes are changing, and that means they want to move to somewhere because they fit into a different target audience now.
2: Mm, I and it's, it's strange, isn't it? Like, as consumers, we can relate to the very people we're going mm-hmm. after, like we're humans, we buy things and our jobs is to ultimately make that connection to help other people buy things. So it, it, it is strange really to, do you think it should be a key part of the strategy and is it something that, have we forgotten to do it or is it very much a case of when we're thinking of strategies, it should be from a consumer perspective?
0: Yeah, definitely think it should be. And I think I know one of the things that I'm a little bit guilty of is that I'll talk about consumers with a client like they're this separate entity, like they're this thing that we're not sure about or we can't predict. But actually those consumers are just us and maybe it's a product that I'm interested in and maybe it's not. Um, And I think the thing to remember is that we are all consumers and we do enough of kind of online shopping and browsing and just generally being a consumer that we have all of that information on how we like to be marketed to and the vast majority of the time the way that you'd want to be marketed to as a consumer is how you would want a brand to speak to you so using that information can allow us to kind of strategize from there without really having to do anything other than just thinking about the things that we like and don't like.
2: Yeah, we could almost do market research on ourselves, couldn't we, mm-hmm. it's a sort of stress test. What about you, Chris? Is it something that's obviously, you're far older than Sarah and I. Do you feel like it's something that's played a part in your career when you've been doing digital marketing strategies, you've put the consumer at sort of the heart of it?
1: Pro- to be honest, probably not enough, because starting digital in PPC, it's, it's just data, isn't it? It's data, data, data. Um and you'll write different ad copy. Um, but I I would just write it based on what I think works. So unwittingly, you probably every now and again touched on some of the elements Sarah's talked to me about, about how behavioural science can influence things like copy, but without realising, without thinking about it in those terms, um, and without thinking about who, who's the consumer I'm talking to. It's just, right, let's write some ad copy, see which gets the best reaction. So shamefully, no, probably probably not enough because I worked in a channel where even, even in the early days you were awash with data and, and everything was just driven by that so I think I probably fell fell foul of forgetting these are people and it's just right let's, let's use the data and make changes on our strategy based on what that shows us
2: yeah I like the unwittingly but then it's like can you imagine marketing to a whole audience of Chris's <laughs> 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 terrifying
1: Be a dream Um, So how often do you think You need to adapt your strategy Based on consumer psychology Are you noticing big changes With what's going on in the world On our clients and what's happening
0: Yeah so Going kind of down this route Means it always needs to be a test and learn approach And I think The thing that I think lots of people are very guilty of Is that it's always got to be massive changes like if you're going to redo something, if you're going to look at consumers, you need to then adapt your entire strategy towards that. And actually there are lots of kind of subtle sort of tweaks you can do, things that you can just build into what's happening already. Um, but without doing those, it might mean that you're kind of speaking to the wrong person or just pitching it at the wrong level. Um, and I think the biggest thing, both in this kind of economic crisis, but also that we've learned from pandemic, is that there has been massive changes and the biggest thing I think that this has provided for me is kind of moving away from that, the past predicting the future thing. Mm -hmm. Um, When I first got into digital, we would do all of our forecasts based on year on year and I feel like that's just something you can't do anymore. Um, We're seeing peaks happen at different times, so a lot of our recom clients are seeing peaks now which is like unheard of to see it in October um, and it means we need to be a little bit more reactive and strategic during those times and figure out a way to strategize without relying on those year on year peaks that we might not see. Yeah I think that's been
2: a big thing hasn't it like doing the year on year in the past sort of forecasting the future no one saw 2020 at all coming so it it did throw everything Mm -hmm. out of the window in a way but so from your perspective then is there anything where sort of the past can lend itself so but is there something you think will typically happen for an economic situation like a recession in terms of shopping behavior do you think there's some
0: sort of parallels that you could draw yeah yeah and the i don't want to say the beauty of Recession because it feels like a really weird thing to say, but the kind of benefit of it is is that it's happened before, Um, and we have lots of data on how people have behaved in past recessions and the, the typical sorts of behaviors that come out. So, typically, in a recession, you get four kind of groups of people, and a couple of these we've touched on already. So, you get the people who kind of stop spending altogether. Um, pull everything right back, and just buy essentials, and kind of count every penny. We've then got kind of the the kind of bulk of the of the consumers, um, which is the people who kind of they stay as they are, but they're a little bit more mindful of things. So anything that's a bigger purchase that can be put off, they'll put off, but they'll typically continue spending in a similar way, and um, just being mindful of what might be happening. Um, the chances of these guys falling into that kind of stop everything um, gets more and more likely the longer we're in a recession. You've then got kind of the top 5%, um, so the people who just won't have any impact on. So, Chris, when you mentioned that high-end spending has continued, mm. um, it's kind of that market of people. It's no
1: shock, yeah. No yeah, surprise.
0: and then you've got Live for Today, which Def, I feel like you fall into a little <laughs> bit, Um which is those people who just think what's going to happen is going to happen, um, I'm going to continue buying what I want, doing what I want, spending what I want, and the chips will fall where they will. Oh yeah, it's pretty much a zero <laughs> given, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the other thing that kind of falls into this is the type of product. Um, So you have things like your essentials, which no matter what, everyone's going to buy, even if we're in a recession. You've got your treats, so your Primark shopping, which people will continue to do. Um, You've got expendables, which are things that are a bit more expensive, but they're either kind of necessary or they're something that you you can kind of justify as being a reasonable purchase. And then you've got your postponables, which is the things that will just everyone will stop buying mm-hmm. um, so a good example of this is kind of cars lots of people are putting off car purchases at the moment unless they need a car which means it then falls back into essentials and that means we can figure out kind of to a degree what spending is going to continue what spending is going to stop and then plan our marketing efforts around that
1: so not a good place to be if your product is a postponable and your um, customer base is a slam-on-the-brakes type person, no? Eh? Yeah. You're in a yeah, bit of trouble there. Work. <laughs> you, you best you're in essentials or your customers are in the top 5%. Yeah. And then you'll be okay. So um, obviously you've educated me on this in the last few weeks, Sarah. So um, really correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that um, – really how we apply behavioural science to marketing is creating personas like customer profiles and and segmenting our buyer base into these areas and then talking to them in the the things they want to see. Is that right? Yeah. At the most basic level.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think when we start talking about personas and customer profiles, I think everyone gets a little bit spooked almost. It seems like this massive job and if you can get to having that persona it's like the ultimate end goal for a lot of brands and but actually there's a lot of information you can gather that alludes to it or gives you enough of an indication that you can start to use that within your marketing ultimately it's humans right so we're never gonna 100% be able to predict what category everyone falls into what personas people are and what people are going to do Mm -hmm. um we can apply some principles to that 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 help but humans are humans and they're always going to behave either exactly the way you expect or the opposite there's really no in between Um, but if you can start looking at that and starting to make that level of segmentation you can start to have those those kind of conversations
2: yeah, I think it's, it's something that we've always tried to do in content, because as I said earlier, you, you kind of have to mm-hmm. um, for, you know, content, to get the stories connect with people because it, it resonates with them on an emotive level um, and, that, and that psychological level, really. So I think, I suppose, for someone like me, the uh, spontaneous, it's interesting. It's, so we, we've been trying this at the moment, haven't we, with integration of the idea with ad copy, with that pushing of the the FOMO messaging, which would probably actually, we've not realised it, but I suppose that's going after a particular Mm -hmm. segment of persona, isn't it? Those that just can't miss out or, you know, that that driving the urgency side of things. So I think having this, like you say, it doesn't have to be the scary thing because we've always done it at some level. We've just not realised it. Exactly. Um, And I think having that information would make life so much easier Mm -hmm. to just know who you're talking to. So you can adapt the language. It's... Yeah, it's how it's you yeah. relationships in general. Yeah. I, think
1: we've, I think we've all probably applied elements of behavioural science in the marketing we've done by accident mm-hmm. um, in using things like and messaging, talking to a particular audience. But I guess what we're talking about is doing it in a more structured, not by accident way, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because actually a lot of the principles of behavioural science and stuff that we naturally do because it's, the things that make sense to us as humans. So if we take the FOMO example, something that marketers use all the time, and the reason why it works is because it plays back into the social proof principle. And actually humans natively want to do things that makes them look good to their peers and is similar to what their peers are doing. We want to fit in as Mm. as humans. That's just the nature of us. And that means things like FOMO can work really well. Because actually that ch- that kind of risk and that chance of missing out on something that other people might be purchasing can be a really strong driver in then that purchase
1: happening. Cool. Um, and we're on, the, we're on the subject of personas. I think we've touched on this little bit already, but do you think they're interchangeable over time?
0: I think they can be changed, um, but ultimately it depends almost like what angle you're looking at it from. So, personas for businesses and brands, unless you do a big repositioning of your product or your service, it will likely stay pretty static. And the thing that will change are the people in those groups. Um, so, people will move in and out of those personas, either as they go through life or as they, um, like, I think about a car buying cycle and people buying cars every four to five years, for example then actually those people are only going to fall into that persona every four to five years. Um, But the persona doesn't change. Um, It's still available for people to fall into. Um, So the only time it does really change is if a brand decides to do a big repositioning, it recognises that it wants to target somewhere else instead or a different demographic Um, and then it would reposition and that's when your persona would change. Mm -hmm. We had that, um, so at my, an old job I was in-house,
2: it it was a new brand, so we had no sort of, nothing to go on, it's just what we perceived we wanted the the persona to be, and we went very much for, it was homeware, so we we went just for the, the Cheshire housewife, and then as we actually launched the brand and we did the marketing and the position of it, the data told us that actually this brand was much more aligned to sort of the, the bachelor, so that gave us, it was sort of reverse engineering, because we had nothing to go off, it was just a sort of idea, um, and then obviously from there we realised actually we need to be focused more down this route, but with personas and that interchangeable based on the sort of overtime and, and I suppose life events and whatnot, when it comes to a strategy, we've, we've established we could have these personas, but would they... Would they change via the channel within that strategy? So would not content necessarily, but would PPC have a completely different persona compared to paid social?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. And I think the personas kind of at their simplest sense are overarching because the persona outlines the person who you want to target. How that then is impacted by channel is that based on that persona, depends on the channel you're going to find them on. So if you've got a broad persona, so if we use the car example again, there's, there's kind of an argument that anyone over the age of 18, bright, is in the market to buy a car um, because most people are going to need them at some point. And that means that actually in that example, you could probably find them on multiple channels because everyone over the age of 18. 18 is likely going to use social media, they're likely going to use Google, they're likely going to research. Where it kind of changes is if you have a more niche persona. So if you're trying to target someone who's more specific in terms of their demographic, um, so the easiest example is if you're trying to um, kind of market to people who are 18 to 30, for example, Mm -hmm. there's more of a, a reputation that you'll find them on social. Than if you were targeting a 54 to 65 demographic, so it's not that the persona changes, it's that the persona drives you to which channels are best placed for your marketing efforts based on where you're going to find those people online.
1: Cool, and then what about um industries? Do you, does it, are there different types of personas for different industries, or are it all fairly standard regardless of what you do?
0: There are different different kind of motivations and personas um, for the different industries. Um, So you'll find that like any kind of more technical industries typically might find people who are more methodical and take a little bit longer to make their decisions. Um, Just because the nature of of that industry means it it kind of requires that level of depth. Um, And across all of the industries you'll find you'll always find a commonality within the personas. Um, And then it's almost like if you can find those specifics, it's almost there where you can supercharge it. If you're talking to a similar majority of people than everyone else, it's so much more difficult to stand out. But if you can narrow that persona down, if it's in a particular industry, then it actually makes it a little bit easier for you to apply that.
1: And what about different channels? Do you think there's any channels where you can't really... Um, apply this approach or it isn't relevant
0: no not really I think what it comes down to is just the application of it so, so there are some channels that we can impact more and some that we can impact less and um, from what we can do and the things that we can control and how we can link back personas to that so it means that it might just be that it's almost like in different doses So you might do more of uh, your kind of persona targeting within content, for example, and then just complement that with paid activity. Or you might run some really dedicated, audience-targeted paid activity, which also plays back into that. Um, But you can do it across all. You just have to get a little bit inventive, usually, about how you're going to apply that across each channel. It's it's so interesting. Just on
2: something that it's literally just sprung into my head. But are we talking about this from very much the conversion part of the funnel or could we apply it across the full funnel? Because obviously for content we we work with all the channels with that messaging helping mm-hmm. to connect with the brand's audience. But would we literally just test this out when it's time to be like in market and purchase?
0: No, not at all. Um naturally it's kind of the one of the easier places to test just because from a data perspective you can really see what's having the impact you can see what's driving the conversions versus not but actually awareness and consideration are just as much of an important part of the funnel as conversion and actually if we're not capturing people at awareness and consideration and driving them down we wouldn't have a pool of people to convert so I think it's really valuable to do at all stages and I guess it's potentially an argument that it's more important uh, awareness and consideration to apply these principles because that's really where people are still making their decision. You know, they want input, they want to feel connected to the brand, they want to know what it's about and you can only really impact that at those higher Mm -hmm. higher levels of the funnel and by doing that it means you can get ahead potentially and kind of make that connection earlier Mm -hmm. and then it's so much easier to drive them to conversion.
1: And we've, we've talked a lot about data, and I've told you how data probably stopped me doing this in the past, but what data can you use to, to influence this approach? And then, I guess, how can you prove its effectiveness using data?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the data is a really valuable part of it from the persona perspective and actually taking the data that we've got and the data that we can find in order to group people into those personas so whether that's data that we're kind of assuming based on what we know about marketing or whether that's data from kind of customer facing workshops or staff that work with customers and you're able to kind of gather that data and it really helps you to figure out kind of what your persona is. And then from a kind of testing perspective, because everything we do, at the end of the day needs to drive or contribute to the ROI in some description. So in terms of that, it means it's looking at those key metrics. So when we're looking at awareness and consideration, what's that level of engagement? Kind of how long are people engaging with that? Are they navigating around the site from there? Are we capturing their retention? Have we got a high click-through rate on awareness and consideration ads, for example? And then from that conversion perspective, it can be as simple as running kind of A-B testing on messaging. Um, We've referenced a couple of examples where we've likely written with behavioural science in mind without realising it. And actually, if we can just A-B test those two messages against each other, it's then a really easy way to see that data and then look at what's working and what's not. And I think the key thing there is that although we've got information and we can apply these principles back, it still might not kind of behave in the way that we expect it to. And actually that's the benefit of testing is that we can run a test and the results might not be what we expect, but it's still something that we've learned and we can build on and then take that into the next test and the test after that.
1: Cool. And we've we've talked a lot about the consumer, I suppose, and we've probably thought about it from a B2C perspective do you think this can be applied in b2b marketing as well yeah
0: definitely um i think obviously there is that difference in terms of approach but it's still targeting humans there's still someone that's making that decision um at the end of the day and it just means it's a slightly different context and there's different motivations there's different things that you need to consider but it's still something that can be applied there
2: So with that, it's basically a case of if you're targeting other businesses, are you still looking at the behaviour of the the sort of staff member who's responsible for the buying or is it something a bit more overarching in terms of the other businesses they want to connect to? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, that's fair. So essentially it is still targeting that staff member um, because it's that person who's making the decision, it's that person who has the motivations, who is going to scope out the product or service. But then you can layer in some other elements. So, ultimately, if you if you're working on B two B, you'll know that you've got to get sign off from one person. But it has to fit within the within the whole industry and the whole business. And so, by knowing about kind of conversations that are had in business and and roadblocks and things that are typically discussed in these decisions, you can layer those back in. Because actually, that might be something that isn't a direct motivation of that of that person who's scoping it out. They might just be worried about price, for yeah. example. But if they took that back to the board, the board might be worried about contract length, kind of a, in a really simple sense. And actually, if you can provide that additional information that they're almost not thinking about, but you know is going to be part of it, it helps to encourage. that that kind of discussion and that conversation and then that decision at the end of it.
1: And what about the people who are doing the marketing? Is there behavioural science behind the people who make the marketing decisions? People who work in agencies, perhaps?
0: Yeah, I think so. This is one that I think about quite a lot and I just keep theorising stuff, but I've never actually done anything with it. I think at some point (laughs) I would want to do some research or something. So click through people might be guinea pigs. Um, but I think I think there is something to it, and I think there is a reason why the people who work in marketing work in marketing. I think we all have an underlying kind of similar motivations and behaviours and ways that we work. Um, because I think I think you have to. It takes a certain kind of skill set and a certain person. I think to work in marketing, and so I have this theory that actually if you if you kind of did some kind of personality testing or applied some of the behavioural science back, I think you'd find loads of commonalities mm. within people in marketing. And obviously that's a great thing because it means we're kind of all driving towards the same thing. However, it can also be a challenge if everyone is kind of built in the same way and comes into marketing for the same kind of subconscious reasons then actually that might mean that we have a level of bias that we can't see because we're all the same. Um, And I think that's a really interesting element of it because I think there is something to it. I just i am not quite sure what that is and how we'd use that information.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I may be really scared for you to sort of figure out the psychology of the marketing, especially all of us. (laughs) Because on the face of it, we are all quite different, but there is those, like you say, those underlying commonalities, Mm -hmm. isn't there? And I I just dread to think what it could be. (laughs) (laughs) I never thought that I'd be in marketing, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, it's as much as it pains me to say, I genuinely
0: love it. That's the thing. I feel like marketing draws people in because I feel like a lot of people come into it not quite knowing what they're getting into um, and having like this vague sense of knowing they're interested in social or writing or something and then when it all comes together and they realize that marketing is the thing people who work in it just love it and I feel like there's got to be something that plays into those people that kind of makes it a rewarding and a fulfilling career for people and so yeah something I would like to research more Mm. at
1: some point (laughs)
0: <laughs> we can be guinea pigs, I reckon. But with that, so
2: the idea of there being the psychology of the marketer and the consumer, but from this, so it's adding an additional layer for our strategies, which I love. I'm, I'm so here for it. So, to say we were to do this, what, what would be the first steps in that, the actual application of it? What is it that we have to do to, to utilise behavioural science?
0: It's just about having the conversations. Um, and gathering the data. Mm-hmm. The look kind of, as both of you have mentioned, everyone's already doing elements of this um, and everyone's accidentally <laughs> applying mm-hmm. it. Um, so it's just taking that to the next level really and actually drilling down into what it is about those personas um, and what it is that we can learn about them that we can apply back. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about just having Having that conversation um, and actually getting in a room with us <laughs> um, and chatting about the, the personas, the importance, and then starting to build from there.
1: And of course, if people find this interesting, they should come and watch a click-through, shouldn't they? Sarah? And we course. can uh, <laughs> help help them adapt this into their strategies.
0: I'm more than happy to talk about <laughs> it. <laughs>
1: um, so obviously, we've been speaking a lot about buying behaviour. Um, let's let's delve a bit deeper into our own. So. Both of you, what's the most extravagant, over the top, or impulsive purchase you've made, and do you think the marketing behind it's had an influence? So, obviously, I went out to buy some Blue Tac and bought an iPad. Um, I'd like to say the marketing didn't have an influence, but didn't really need one. So, it must have, it must have had some form <laughs> of influence. But what about you, Sarah? What, so we'll, we'll kick off for you.
0: So, I've been thinking about this, and I was trying to think of something that was like sufficiently weird. To bring out <laughs> as a purchase um so I think the most impulsive thing I've bought recently is um so Steph you know this mm. but I like to craft mm. and I have a pretty extensive collection of embroidery threads which feels a bit <laughs> weird that I'm now raising this as my example um but my like main issue over the last couple of years has been like how to store them because I've got Hundreds of them. They're, like, coming out my ears. And um, so I started doing a little bit of Instagram research and I found these, like, beautiful units where they're, like, all lined up perfectly with little labels on the top. They're beautiful. Um, And so that was my impulsive purchase. Spent more on it than probably anything I bought (laughs) this year. But it was worth it. And it looks amazing. So from a from a kind of marketing perspective i guess that's worked because i've seen all these like beautiful instagram pictures and wanted to replicate it and have you have you done it by putting it on instagram are you part of it i haven't oh, i'm going to now but yeah you on, can go. both look out for it later <laughs>
1: <laughs> i'll be i'll be viewing your story with uh <laughs> yeah much eagerness tonight steph what about you
2: Ah,
0: oh, this makes me look ridiculous, but uh. I mean, I just gave my embroidery <laughs> collection story. Yeah, but that's because it's a hobby and it's
2: a good one. Mine is pure. Oh, so, yeah. so I'm all about a bit of personalization. Um, I think it's because Mama Keeling stitched me up slightly and spelt my name in a way that nobody has ever spelt in England. If I go to like France or Greece, I'm, I'm winning. Um, German,
1: and, Germany, you well in?
2: Yeah, yeah, Steffi Graf, thank you Steffi
1: Graf plays blazed trail for you Yeah,
2: my name's sake um, So <laughs> it sounds so Both childish and quite Narcissistic, but it isn't, it's just because I'm not used to Seeing it, and you know back in Well, maybe not you sir, but Chris Back in the 90s where everything, you could get things With your name mm. on, it was a big thing You could have headbands, fridge magnets And I could never have anything Because it was never spot my way so, as digital's evolved, and obviously email marketing, and they can do that personalisation when you sign mm-hmm. up, <laughs> not only do I open any email that starts with my name, because I'm just like, it's to me, uh, you know as some clothing companies call their, their dresses or their tops mm-hmm. people's names? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, oh, I, I spent a ridiculous amount, it wasn't Primark, on a dress that was called Stephanie. I've never worn it, uh, I refuse to take the tag off it because then how would we know um, it was a Stephanie dress, although I have saved the screenshot from the website, but I also don't like it, it's not my style <laughs> at all, but because I'd never come across it before, I had to have it and I am that person, so brands, <laughs> if you ever want me to just waste my money, call one of just your create, products create Stephanie, Stephanie line. yeah, and I will buy it all. Regardless.
1: I mean, there's so many inappropriate jokes I can make about the Steph dress, but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll not put that on the podcast, I don't think.
2: No, and remember, a Chris jumper is going to be something really itchy and horrible, isn't it? So leave me alone, thank you. Well, we, we won't say what a
1: Steph dress is.
0: <laughs> so we started out the episode by talking about the type of consumer you are. Steph, I feel like you've confirmed <laughs> yeah, spontaneous with it's that story. I'm more hardcore than <laughs> 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 are you. Are you sticking with spontaneous? Ah, uh, fully, yeah, yeah. Uh, Chris, how about you? Do you think you've you've changed?
1: I, no, I'm I'm sticking methodical, and um, I, I blame my upbringing to be honest. Because literally anything you bought, the first question would always be, "How much was that?" So you come over a new jumper. How much was that? <laughs> and if it was too much, it'd be followed up with how much. <laughs> so you have to make sure you're not spending over the odds. That's that was kind of drilled in from uh, from day one. Hence the methodical approach. Make sure you're getting a good deal. Make sure you're getting the best price. Otherwise, you have to you get ripped apart by your nan. Do not think it's worth it.
2: Do you do you haggle then if you're methodical and you want things for good price? Are you one of those people?
1: Um, I mean, I don't go into curries and say.
2: Got any wiggle room on this <laughs> laptop? I'll,
1: actually, actually I I'll, I'll, will ask if they can do it. Oh
2: no.
1: Why not? Then, I hate it.
2: Mm-hmm. The sticker says the price, and I'm just obedient. I don't ask. Yeah, if, you but know. Then, no, they
1: can. They can always knock something off for you if they want to. Um, and yeah, if like, you buy anything on Facebook Marketplace, never pay them what they're asking. No way. <laughs>
2: No, it's, that's not me, you can
0: I'll pay whatever you tell me I mean, it's it is. been advertised at a price, yeah. And I'm comfortable reasons.
1: with paying that price, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you could if you can get a little bit off, oh
0: no,
2: just yeah. do as you're told,
1: <laughs> 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 yeah. Okay, so um, we're, we're nearly at the end today, Steph. The I mean, the biggest duty of stepping into live shoes is uh, live random question. So over to you for Steph's random question before we wrap up.
2: I know this part filled me with absolute fear because I I can't do live justice so what I thought I'd do is call upon Liv's people uh, which is the the DPM team so I have got a question uh thanks to them so thank you Ed so I'm going to ask you first Sarah okay would you rather have spades for arms
0: or forks for legs so I've been mulling on this all day Because we decided on this question this morning. And the only reasoning I've got for my answer is because the thought of one of them freaks me out. Mm -hmm. So picturing myself with metal forks for legs is horrifying (laughs) to me. (laughs) So I'm going to have to go spades for arms. How is that horrifying more than a spade (laughs) arm? I don't know. It's something about them being pointy and like digging into the ground. I just... I can't get on board with We did scope out an alternative option Which was like Your leg is still a leg But it's just shaped like a fork But I find it went warm down, warm down a bit of you. a weird wormhole Yeah Chris?
1: I'm going to have to have forks for legs Because um, just think how beautifully aerated your lawn would be <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Oh god you can tell you Getting on a bit,
1: mate. Such a middle aged man. Also, how useful are hands? What are you having? Space. What?
2: Space? Yeah, space for hands. No, I'm I'm scarily with you, Chris. Um, I think the, the forks for legs. I don't know, I'm on board with it. I feel like, you know, it's elongated It's a weapon uh, Display Dan gave the best answer I've ever heard so I'm quoting him And I love it, it was, it was I will exclusively walk on soft ground And that just, I've never heard anyone <laughs> say that Kind but, of sentence before Then you'll, before. Sink.
1: Then you'll <laughs> sink, you could become a baddie Like in, um, we've seen Kingsman
2: Yes That, you yeah. know,
1: the, the lady with lady. that could be your thing You could be, Uh, like, stab people with your foot legs. You could be some sort of assassin.
2: I think that's where my mind went. And you thank you. That's been bothering me all day that I thought there was some sort of villain. And, yeah, that would
1: be me. Yeah. Kingsman. Lady out of Kingsman. So there we go. I mean, we've answered the most important question now. And I think that wraps things up for the episode, doesn't it? Um... I certainly feel a little more aware in regards to my own buying behaviour now. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, make sure you follow or subscribe to um, on whichever platform you're listening on. Also, leave us a review, obviously five star, um, so that people can discover us in the future. And if you'd like to learn more about recession-ready marketing or behavioural science in marketing, be sure to check out our website over at clickthrough-marketing.com and connect with us on your preferred social media platform. And we'll see you next month.